Shabbat Shalom, everybody. My name is Noel. This is the Unexpected Cosmology. Here we are on week seven of our Torah portions. They just keep uh, just keep advancing, and uh, it's been fun so far, far. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. And uh, this week is it's just an epic portion. I, I've talked about this in the past that when you're, you know, I have you're trying to. It's, it's almost like I, I have a two-hour slot here, so you try to figure out like, what am I going to talk about? All right. Now here's what I'm not going to be talking about tonight. I have, I'm not even going to get through everything that I do want to talk about. But one thing I'm not talking about tonight is we're talking about Yaakov going back to Mary, Leah and Rachel, you know, epic passage. And I'm not going to be covering um, uh, Jacob's trouble that comes from, I think your chapter, I think is it 20? It's right in there, Jeremiah. And he talks about uh, the days of Jacob's trouble. Just so you guys know, I mean, my my belief is that uh, the, the year you're looking for is 70 AD. All right. So I, I think it was I think scripture was fulfilled. Um, all right. So, you know, we had a, an incredible discussion beforehand. So if you guys have not joined my discord group and if you haven't made the time to come over every single Friday night, it's uh, what is it? It's eight o'clock central right now, nine o'clock Eastern time. Friday night, two hours ago, we opened up the room and we had a great discussion on uh, Jubilees versus Jasher and some were pro, some were nay, and uh, just talking about that, talking about the Sabbath day regulations. It was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed hearing from all of you guys. Uh, th this is That's a time for you guys to come and talk about whatever you want to talk about, jump into a conversation. You can ask me whatever you want. Of course, I'll try to answer the best I can. And a lot of times I get asked questions that have nothing to do with anything I've ever researched, but I'll try. Anyways, um, and I loved it. I just love to see everybody coming in here and um, and making comments, you know, Shabbat Shalom to all of you guys. It's great to, it's just so fun that, you know, the Sabbath day rolls around and everyone's like, you know, greeting each other with Shabbat Shalom. So this is Bereshith. Also, one more thing, you know, again, I'm going from nine to 11 on this Eastern time. I'm going to stop promptly at 11 o'clock if I'm not done yet. And uh, we're going to start the late show. I'm going to be jumping over to uh, tonight. We're starting the book of creation, and it is so epic. You guys aren't going to want to miss it. Even if you have to go to bed tonight because it's past your bedtime, be sure to check it out before, you know, it gets too far down the feed. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a mini series. It's going to take about three weeks, I think, to get through book of creation. But as you can see here, um, Bereshith from, I'm going to try to put as many of you guys' comments up as I can tonight. Bereshith from the Paleo-Hebrew, week 7. It's, of course, Genesis 28, 10 through 32, 3. Now, why am I, okay, I'm going to have to get rid of this here. Why am I starting out with a picture of Mulan, of uh, a medieval map? Now, this is actually in reference to last week. And we were talking, I was talking about how Michael joined me. We were talking about Yaakov and how he went around uh, digging wells. And actually what happened was his father Abraham went around digging wells. And when he would dig these wells in these different places of Canaan, he would name them after different – he'd give them names that give character to the Most High or, or to Yahuwah. And, of course, Abraham in his day was highly respected. I mean anybody who went down and – rescued the kings of Sodom and, you know, Lot and everyone from the uh, the Rephaim invasion and that, that epic war, I mean, is going to get some respect, right? 
he had a lot of respect in his in his day. But when he died, the people are like, okay, you're in the tomb now. You're buried with your wife. We don't, they started filling in these wells. And I was thinking about this and how Yaakov would go dig them up and people would try to have contention over and that kind of stuff. And I was thinking about the theme of water and the passage, what they would talk about, it was the water of life. I actually made a, um, I wrote a paper on this this week. I did a recording today. So hopefully the video will come out next week talking about the waters of life and how it deals with the millennial kingdom. Because in these millennial kingdom cities, you know, AKA medieval cities, dark age cities, we see that they were these star cities. You can see this here with uh, with Milan. And it, there's water all through it. It's a magnificent city. It's built around water and just all irrigated, right? So, uh, but then, oh, and then th this is the Cathedral of Milan right here. Now they tell us that this thing was, it took six centuries to build this thing. No joke. Now, conveniently, it got finished being built in 1810 right around the mud flood, right with the advent of photography, you know, but they, but they say that like up until the 1960s, they were still doing little flourishes on it. Yeah. Okay. You know, they had, they had to keep it, the, 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 uh, the story going, I guess. Well, these are some uh, before and after pictures. I'll give you a second to look at these and figure out what's going on. You know, what is the before and what is the after? These are just, you know, these are all pictures of Milan. You can see these a little bit better. And what do you see? You see a city built on water going through. And then what happened? They filled it in with earth. Uh, you see that here? You see this all through Milan. You see these, uh, see if my mouse is working here. See all these river channels here, here, and then just filled in. And uh, it just really re it reminded me of that passage last week. We want to see a little bit more with Wells tonight, but this idea that, uh, and, and interesting enough, whenever people weren't quarreling, around uh uh Yitchak, they were there was they were blossoming there was fruits but then they would you know they, there would be friction of course it was always about heaven they did they didn't want to live in harmony with them right they didn't want to live according to the laws and he's going around like a priest and he's building these these this water for them he was giving them water they didn't want it and uh so interesting you know all these ancient this ancient civilization we see that they they close up shop the same way very interesting and, you know they say that there's uh nothing happened the rabbis would say that the sages would say that nothing happened to the patriarchs it did not happen to israel later and to that i fully agree we see it just cyclically all through history all right paleo bearish 28 10 through 22 where we left off was uh the uh incident where uh Yitchak blessed, he gave the blessing to Yaakov and said Esau, and there was some uh, trickery going on with the, uh, you know, putting on the, the, the hairy skins and all that kind of stuff and preparing him a meal. And he thought it was his favorite son, Esau, and it wasn't. So, and now Esau wants to, um, he wants to end uh, his twin brother, Yaakov, and Yaakov is on the run. So Yaakov went forth from the well of the oath and traveled to Haran. So now he's going from one well to another well. And he reached a certain place and lodged there, for it was sunset. So he took one of the stones of the place and put it for a bitter headrest and laid himself down in that spot. Then he dreamed, and behold, he saw a ladder with its foot on a rat. So rats would be the earth, and its head reaching into Shamayam. Now I'm going to tell you right now, what we're looking at is a portal uh, into the heavens and 
where is he right now? He's on the mountain of worship. I'm going to show you that he is on the, the actual mountain where the temple would be built. Uh, but there was actually a temple there now. It would be the temple of the Kilzadek. And of course, this temple has been found. And uh, the reason why the, the this temple of the Kilzadek was where Shem School was. And I believe it was actually a portal uh, to... Uh, paradise and we're seeing it where it's opened up for him right there he sees it then he dreamed and behold he saw a ladder with its foot on the earth and its head reaching into heaven and behold uh, Malachi Alahayam ascending uh, these would be Malachi would be messengers of Alahayam right like angels ascending and descending upon it and he beheld that Yahuwah the ever-living was established above it and he declared I am Yahuwah Alahaya of Abraham, your father, and the Alahaya of Yitzhak. Ha'arat, which you now lie upon, upon the earth, I will give to you and your seed, and your race shall be like the fine dust of the earth, and, and shall spread west and east and north and south, and all the families of the world shall be gifted by you and your heir. Be assured also that I am with you, and will guard you wherever you go, and I will give you a quiet return for this country. For I will not forsake you until I have accomplished what I have promised to you. Uh, then Yaakov awoke from his sleep and exclaimed, Yahuwah, the ever-living, is certainly in this place. And I knew it not. So he was afraid and said, how dreadful this place is. Is not this truly the house of Allah Hayam? And this the gate of Shamayam? So the gate of heaven. Yaakov rose early in daybreak. He took the stone which he had placed for a bitter headrest and sat it upright and poured oil on the head of it and called the name of that place uh, Baeth Al or uh, Al's, uh, like like Alahayam, right? Or, you, or you'd say maybe the Masoretic El, right? El's house. So Al's house, but Laos uh, was its former name. Then Yaakov vowed a vow declaring, if Yahuwah, if excuse me, if Yahuwah, the ever-living Alahayah, is with me and will guard me in the way I now go and give to me bread to eat and clothing to put on and bring me back safely to the house of my father, then Yahuwah, the ever-living, shall be to me of, of Alahayam, and this stone which I place for a headrest shall be a house of Alahayam, and all that you give to me, I will return a tenth part to you. Now, there is so much going on here, and I will ask, uh, <laughs> why did he say, and... And uh, that he will give me clothing to put on. Now, I don't know how much clothing he has on here, but I'm guessing it's very little. Uh, you're going to see why in a second. Uh, sometimes I kind of wonder if he showed up to Rachel's well in his skimpies. Uh, I think he, he, you don't really get this sense just from uh, Bereshith, but he's in a bad state here, guys. Like he has just been basically, he wasn't really beaten but he might as well have been i mean he was he had just been again it doesn't say this here but he has just been robbed of all of his possessions now that's a problem if he is on his way to get a wife all right he's on his way to get a covenant woman and when you're on your way to get a covenant woman you need money you need you need something to show the father to go i can take care of your daughter here you go i've got prizes i've got gifts for you look i'm wearing fine clothing he's going to show up in you know rags or something all right not a good start to his journey. All right, so this is the, uh, let's read here the Aramaic Targum, Genesis 28, uh, same passage. 
and look at some of the similarities here. So we were reading from the Paleo. This is the Aramaic. Five miracles were wrought for our, and th they do a little bit of a midrash here, all right? So just so you guys are all clear. Five miracles were wrought for our father Yaakov at the time that he went forth from Beersheba. The first sign, the hours of the day were shortened, and the sun went down before his time for as much as the word had desired to speak with him. And I love that, how all through the Targum, Yahuwah is called the word. The second sign, and of course you guys know who the word is. The second sign, the four stones which Yaakov had set for his pillow, he found in the morning, had become one stone. I'm going to put, be putting a lot of focus on this tonight. The fact that uh, it says, uh, so he he's four stones and they became one stone. All right. Sign the third. The stone which when all the flocks were assembled, they rolled from the mouth of the well. He rolled away with one of his arms. We'll get that later. This is when he gets to the well, uh, Leah and Rachel, Rachel's well. He uses one arm to, and these, you know, these would be huge stones, right? Like, have you ever seen pictures of these wells? I would actually wish I had one tonight. It, you know, it would, it would be something like you'd be like, you know, really pushing to get off. And he's just using one arm, which of course, you know, his children, uh, if you read like the, the, the 12 patriarchs and Jasher and the stuff, these guys were like, like Samson kind of guys. Uh, sign the third, the stone which when all the flocks were assembled, they rolled from the mouth of the well, he rolled away from one arm. Okay, the fourth sign, the well overflowed and the water rose to the edge of it and continued to overflow all the days that he was in, Ar in Haran. This goes exactly with the theme of what I was talking about, about the cities, the millennial kingdom in which they were all based around water. Uh, water was uh, living in more ways than, I mean, we normally recognize. I've been learning, you know, some incredible things about water re recently, and I was having a discussion. Recently. I was looking into this today about like water being sentient. Uh, just, I'll be talking about that more in the future. Uh, and so, as, as long as he's in Haran, we see the blessing of Yaakov there in Haran, and uh, that everybody can, you know, take a part of it. The fifth sign. The country was shortened before him so that one day it, that in one day he went forth and came to Haran. All right now, take that with a grain of salt if you must. I don't know. I, I've read multiple sources on this. I, I can believe it. I believe that, you know, that for whatever reason, you know, it was a miracle. He started walking from the Mount of Worship uh, on the next day and before sunset or whatever, like within hours, he arrived all the way in Babylon. All right. And he prayed in the place of the house of the sanctuary and lodged there because the sun had gone down. And he took four stones of the holy place and set his pillow and slept in that place. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was fixed in the ground, and the top of it reached to the height of heaven. And behold, the two angels who went into Sodom. Now pay attention to this. So remember, there were three angels that showed up to announce the birth of Yitshak. So this would have been Yaakov's father being announced. They come to Abraham, uh, Sharaha, she laughs in the tent. One of them is Yahuwaha. He does not continue on to Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels do. Uh, but I think he ascends back up to heaven. Uh, but uh, And I think in the Aramaic Targum it says he did too. Uh, but anyways, these two continue on, and they're still on the earth. They never went back to heaven. So, and behold, the two angels who went into Sodom and who had been expelled from the midst of them because they had revealed the secrets of Yahuwaha of the world, and being cast forth, they had walked 
they had walked the earth till the time Yaakov went out from the house of his father and had accompanied him with uh, kindliness into Bethel. And that day had ascended to the high heavens and said, come and see Yaakov the pious, whose likeness is inlaid in the throne of glory and whom you have so greatly desired to behold. Then the rest of the angels of the uh, of the holy Adonai descended to look upon him. Now, one thing to note here, I'm not, I decided to like avoid talking about the whole pre-existence thing tonight. You guys know I love talking about it, but there's a reference right there. All right. His likeness is inscribed. Let, let me see what it says. His likeness was inscribed on the throne of glory. And uh, there, there's some text. I might read from it next week. And it talks about how uh, even though Abraham and Yitshak were very important, you guys saw me talk about the divine conception of Yitshak, that actually Yaakov, according to some sources, some text, was a, um, was a highly placed angel highly placed messenger in heaven that was assigned to come down all right so uh, we, we can talk about that more in the coming weeks oh but um well i didn't want to comment on this idea of these angels you know messing up and to any kind of pros- protestant thinking out there that's almost unthinkable you're like that, that can't be because we protestants have this i, I say we I, I came out of you know protestant thinking evangelical baptist but Protestants have this idea that when you're, you know, maybe it's like the idea of the twinkling of an eye were transformed, right? So we, we get from that these pictures that uh, we're going to be like these almost robotic. I mean, they don't phrase it that way. That's almost sounds so negative, but it's just like we're going to be this these robotic holy people that we are going to be incapable of flaw. And I feverishly disagree with that. In fact, uh, Hebrew thought, Jewish thought as well. Hebrew thought would disagree with that, in my opinion. I, a, a lot of the um, the early church fathers, and I know there's going to be people out there like, oh, I don't want to hear about the church fathers. You know, I don't want to hear about their opinions, Noel. It's like, well, okay, fine. If you don't want to hear about their opinions, why are you listening to me? Or <laughs> it, please do listen to me, though. But you know, a lot of the when I hear this from people, they're like, oh, origin. I don't want to hear from him. You know, his opinion. It's like, well, if, if you're going to have that opinion, then you know, please, I don't ever want to hear from you either. Like. Like, no opinions, right? Just give me scripture. Don't tell me what it means because now you're giving your opinion, right? Just give me the scripture. Uh, but the idea here is that the a lot of some like origin some of the early church fathers, okay, and they're they're coming out of the you know kind of this Jewish thinking, right? Was that the the angels are not perfect? They could they could mess up. They can, you know, they could really, they could stumble and mess up and that they're in pursuit of righteousness and holiness just as we are. All right. Um, and uh, that you could even go to say that they, they are also a part of the re- redemption story. Yes, they are helping us in our redemption, but they are also getting it as well. Um, so that's where from a kind of a, a rabbinical perspective, like this is not a shocker that there would be two angels going on a mission and they mess up. They got to do their time and then they can ascend back to heaven again. All right. Uh, and behold, the glory of Yahuwah stood above him and he said to him, I am Yahuwah, uh, Alhayam of Abraham, uh, thy father, and uh, Alhayam of Yitchak, the land on which thou art lying, I will give to thee and to thy sons. And thy sons shall be many, uh, many as the dust of the earth. 
uh, it has been long commented upon that this word literally is dust here and that there could have been more uh you know maybe better terms like you know with abraham it was the stars right before for yaakov it's the dust uh, it's not the most flattering term uh, even sand is more flattering than dust and shall become strong on the west and on the east and on the north and on the south and all the kindreds of the earth shall through thy righteousness and the righteousness of thy sons be blessed now we're going to be seeing tonight if i get there because i'm going pretty slow uh, when all his sons are born and of course interestingly enough all the names of his sons they literally go over the whole earth and they become the peoples of the earth and behold my word is for thy help and will keep thee in every place where thou shalt go and will bring thee again to this land for i will not leave thee until the time when i have performed all that i have told thee and yaakov awoke from his sleep and said verily the glory of of Yahuwah Shekinah dwelleth in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful and glorious is this place! This place is not common, but the sanctuary of the name of Yahuwah, the proper spot for prayer, set forth before the gate of heaven and founded beneath the throne of glory. And Yaakov arose in the morning and took the stone which he had placed for his pillow and set it standing and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but Luz was the name of the city of the first. And Yaakov vowed a vow, saying, if the word of Yahuwah will be my helper and will keep me from shedding innocent blood and from, go, uh, and from strange worship and from impure converse in this way that I am going and will give me bread to eat and raiment to wear and will bring me back in peace to my father's house. Yahuwah shall be my Elohim now or Al-Hayam. Now, keep in mind here, this is why Yitzhak, I comment on this in the past, this is why Yitzhak was never allowed to leave the land. Abraham made it clear you are not leaving the land to find a wife. The common, the common consensus on this, it seems, is that it's because Yitzhak was an ascending offering and Yaakov was not. But you can see here that Yaakov is concerned. He knows, uh, though, of course, Canaan is, isn't, you know, uh, isn't all that great either at this time. I mean, it's pretty pagan. But he's really concerned because he's heard all these stories about pagan Babylon, Nimrod's kingdom, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he doesn't want to go back there and fall into uh, the trap of that paganism. So he's he's asking here to be guarded as, as he goes forward. It's a great prayer. Yahuwah shall be my Allah and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be ordained for the house of the sanctuary of Yahuwah. And upon it shall generations worship the name of Yahuwah. And, and of all that thou mayest give me, the tenth will I separate before thee. Now he's talking about this stone. And he's saying that this stone right here, this pillar, he's called the stone is a pillar. Remember, this, the, the stones came together, became one pillar. Uh, this shall be ordained for the house, this house of the sanctuary of Yahuwah. Uh, I believe he's actually saying it's going to be its cornerstone. I think that's what he's saying. All right. All right. Let's read quickly. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to talk about the the stone of scone in here and my research on that. But let's read what it says in the Asher 29, uh, 31 through 34. And when Yaakov went away to go to Haran, Esau, oh, this is great. So this is going to explain why he's in such a bad state. Esau called unto his son Eliphaz and secretly spoken to him, saying, Now hasten, take, the, take thy sword in thy hand, and pursue Yaakov, and pass before him in the road, and look for him, and slay him with thy sword in one of the mountains, and take all belonging to him, and come back. Now, this story we're going to read tonight mirrors Cain and Abel repeatedly. Like, it's just... 
over and over and over again. And and now Esau originally was going to wait for his father Yitzhak to die, uh, but now he's like, I got my moment. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him. This is it. It was the same thing with uh, with uh, interestingly enough, where if you read first Adam and Eve, and I I don't think I'm gonna, I might give that portion tonight. I'm not sure, but he uh, Cain is actually leading Abel out. Like he's trying to lead him away to a great distance so he can kill him. And it, it like it's like Esau sees his chance. Like he's going out here. I can kill him. I I can kill him. You know, out there. And Eliphaz, the son of Esau, was an active man, an expert with the bow, as his father had taught him. And he was a noted hunter in the field and a valiant man. And Eliphaz did as his father had commanded him. And Eliphaz was at that time 13 years old. And Eliphaz rose up and went and took 10 of his mother's brothers with him and pursued Yaakov. So I guess there's uh, 11 of them going out after him. And he closely followed Yaakov. And he lurked for him in the border of the land of Canaan, opposite the city of Shechem. A lot of stuff went down at Shechem. And Yaakov saw Eliphaz and his men pursuing him. And Yaakov stood still in the place in which he was going. And so keep in mind, he has not gone to, uh, he has not arrived at, at Mount Zion yet. Right? In order to know what, what this was, for he did not know the thing. And Eliphaz drew his sword and he went on advancing, he and his men, toward Yaakov. And Yaakov said unto them, What is it to do with you that you have come hither? And what meaneth it that you pursue with your swords? And Eliphaz came near to Yaakov, and he answered and said unto him, Thus did my father command me. It's, it's interesting because he has a bow and arrow, so why is he even coming up to him, right? Like he's having cold feet. He if he had followed his doors, he would have been dead already. By, by the time he saw him, he would have been dead. Now, therefore, I will not deviate from the orders which my father gave me. And he's already deviated. It's a, kind of like in a like a like a bond film right where like the villain always gives themselves away and they start telling you what they're going to do instead of just killing you right and when yaakov saw that esau had spoken to eliphaz to employ force yaakov then approached and supplicated eliphaz and his men saying to him behold all that i have in which my father and mother gave unto me take that unto thee and go from me and do not slay me and may this thing be accounted unto thee uh, a righteousness now why why would Eliphaz actually think this is a good trade? You're going to see later on. The thing is, is that Esau, we, I'll give it away now. Esau was supposed to marry Leah. All right. So there was already a prearranged marriage where Esau was supposed to go and marry Leah. He didn't want to really marry Leah. He went and married some other woman that uh, we saw last week caused great sorrow to his parents and it was idolatry and this kind of stuff but so now he's like man you took my inheritance but now you're taking this money intended for my wife i'm going to kill you for that and so this is why yaakov is like I, he knows this and he's like just just take it here take it I, I don't need any of this it's all yours all right and yahuwah caused uh yaakov to find favor in the side of Eliphaz doesn't kill him. I'm skipping ahead. Esau's mad at his son for not killing him. He lost his opportunity right there, but he will lay in wait. All right. So, uh, oh, we're skipping ahead. Um, let's see here. Okay. Oh, yeah, let's read this last verse, verse 43. Then he went to the house of Ishmael's uncle. In addition to his older wives, 
he took Meklath, the daughter of Ishmael, the sister of uh, Nebaioth, for a wife. So again, so the marriage, the context here is marriage. And Esau knew that this money was for a bride. And so it's interesting that he goes and takes a bride. He doesn't go take Leah. He's not interested in Leah. Uh, but he goes and takes someone from Ishmael. All right. And he, uh, so this looks like the next chapter. This would be um, uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. And Yaakov went forth, continuing his road to Har uh, Haran. And he came as far as Mount Moriah. All right. So catching us up to speed. And he tarried there all night near the city of Luz. And Yahuwaha appeared there unto Yaakov on, the, on that night. And he said unto him, I am Yehuwaha Alaham of Abraham, and Abraham of Yitchak, thy father, the land upon which thou liest, I will give unto thee and thy seed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee wherever thou goest, and I will multiply the seed as the stars of heaven. Kind of interesting there because he says stars and not dust. It doesn't say that in, in uh, the Masoretic or the Paleo, to my understanding. And I will cause all thine enemies to fall before thee. And when they shall make war with thee, they shall not prevail over thee. And I will bring thee again into this land with joy, with children, and with great riches. And Yaakov awoke from his sleep, and he rejoiced greatly at the vision which he had seen. And he called that name, uh, the place of that name, Bethel. And Yaakov rose up from that place quite rejoiced. And when he walked, his feet felt light to him for joy. And he went from there to the land of the children of East. So kind of interesting here because Jasher it, it doesn't say he got there in one day you know that's that's a question I have whether he really did or didn't but it, it gives a similar picture that it was just like this joyous journey and it was just light on his feet and he just showed up it didn't feel like a journey to him and you, you're gonna see the same thing where like the 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 years where you know the seven years and the seven years it just it just passed as if it was like nothing for his love for uh, Rachel and Yaakov rose up from that place quite rejoiced. And when he walked, his feet felt light. To, okay, I'm read that. And he went from there to the land of the children of the east, and he returned to Haran, and he set by the shepherd's well. All right. All right. Told you we're going to be thorough tonight. Uh, Legends of the Jews, Volume 1. This is what it says about the Day of Miracles. And you're going to see a lot of connection. Now, the Legends of the Jews, they're pulling from a lot of different sources. They pulled from Jasher very heavily. Uh, they pull from the Aramaic Targum, which we read, but they're going to have other sources too, like the Talmud and others. Uh, we're all mature here, I think. I hope. Yaakov's journey to Haran was a succession of miracles. The first of the five that befell for his sake in the course of it was that the sun sank while Yaakov was passing Mount Moriah, though it was high noon at the time. All right, so the idea was is that yeah, uh, Yahuwah wanted him he wanted him to see this portal, this ladder opened up. He wanted him to have this experience. So he made it, you know, kind of fast forwarded the time supernaturally for him. He was following the spring that appeared wherever the patriarchs went or settled. It accompanied Yaakov from Beersheba to Mount Moriah, a two days journey. When he arrived at the holy hill, Yahuwah uh, said to him, Yaakov, thou, thou hast bread in thy wallets and the spring of waters is nearby to quench thy thirst. Thus thou hast food and drink, and here thou canst lodge for the night. And I think that was actually supernatural. I think the bread just appeared. Uh, because even this talks about how uh, Esau's son robbed him. But Yaakov replied, the sun has barely passed the fifth of its 12-day stages. Why should I lie down to sleep at so unseemly an hour? But then Yaakov perceived that the sun was about to sink, and he prepared to make ready his bed. It was the divine purpose not to let Yaakov pass the side of the future temple 
without stopping. He was to tarry there at least one night. Also, El, uh, Hayam desired to appear unto Yaakov, and he showed himself unto his faithful ones, and he shows himself unto his faithful ones only at night. I, I don't know about that, but that's what it says here. I've never, I guess, done a study as he only appeared at night. Maybe he does. At that time, Yaakov was saved from the pursuit of Esau, who had to desist on account of the premature darkness. That's kind of interesting. Um, okay, so Yaakov took 12 stones from the altar. So it seems like the, the number is different here because uh, the other said four, the Aramic Targum, if I'm not mistaken, this is 12. Of course, the 12 would be for each of the tribes, right? He took 12 stones from the altar in which his father, Yitchak, had lain bound as a sacrifice. To make that connection right here, this is Mount Moriah. This is where Yitchak became the ascending sacrifice. I'll go more into it. And he said, it was the purpose of Allah Hayam to let 12 tribes arise, but they have not been begotten by Abraham or Yitchak. If now these 12 stones will unite into a single one, then shall I know for certainty that I am destined to become the father of the 12 tribes. All right. I'm going to just skip ahead some of this here. You can see there's a lot of text here or else I'm never going to get through this. All right. Um, what I want to talk about is this actual altar before we get to Leah and Rachel. Uh, and this is something I've looked a lot at, and I, I find this altar. I did this whole biography, <laughs> the altar of Yahuwah, uh, I call it Yahuwah, uh, I think I like a life. It was like a, a biographical paper. It was a lot of fun for those of you who read it. And I traced this actual altar back all the way to the mountain of worship or Eden. And what I really enjoyed about this was that I wasn't just taking Jewish texts. I was actually taking christian tradition text too so when you're getting early christian texts or texts that you know have an obvious messianic slant that were used by christians and not jews and then you have jewish texts and you put them together and they agree i love that uh so this is uh genesis 215 the aramaic targum and it says i'll take you through this here right uh, really quickly and yahuwah uh took the man from the mountain of worship where he had been created. This is talking about Adam. He is, the dust is formed from this mountain of worship, all right? And then he is, uh, then he, of course, is finally placed into Eden. Legends of the Yahudim says, the grace and loving kindness of Elohim revealed themselves particularly in his taking one spoonful of dust from the spot where in time to come, the altar would stand. Okay, this is the same altar we just read about with Yaakov, saying, I shall take man from the place of atonement that he may endure. So where yeah so it's interesting because again think think about this portal this 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 ladder going to heaven this is why the school of Shem is there this is why the temple is there this is why the altar is there and you know there when when individuals I'll hear anybody out but when individuals say that the temple was not supposed to go there I and the, I disagree with that I mean the the Mechizedek temple is there I. It's just, there, there's something very special about this mountain and probably there's mountains like that all over the world right but this one was special because this is yahuwah's plot of land all right we see here the cave of treasure so this is what i'm talking about in terms of this is a christian text we're going to read now and when he rose at full length and stood upright in the center of the earth he planted his two feet on the spot whereon was set up the cross of our redeemer for Adam was created in Yerushalayim. So you have uh, 
same thing being said, stated by uh, Christians. The only emphasis, the only difference is that one says the temple, one says the cross. Now, of course, if you see my research on uh, the crucifixion of Yahusha, um, I think it was done like right outside the temple. All right. And uh, this comes back to the Targum again, Genesis 3, 23. And Yahuwah, Yahuwah oh, I'll just say Yahuwah here for the modern Hebrew. And Yahuwah Elohim removed him from the Garden of Eden, and he dwelt, and he went and dwelt on Mount Moriah. So when Adam it leaves paradise, he goes to Mount Moriah. All right. Now, for everyone out there arguing about where Eden is, and they say it's in the east, it's in the east. The early, for whatever reason, early Christian tradition and early Jewish tradition placed the land of Eden, it seemed, right there in Israel or Canaan. So I don't know. I'm just going to read what this says. All right. I'm not going to overcomplicate this. We see here, here's another book, Second Adam and Eve. Then Seth, Eve, and their children came down from the mountain to the cave of treasure. So this is what I was talking about before, where Jewish tradition will say that Adam and Eve were buried in the cave in Hebron. Well, according to Christian tradition, the cave of treasures is right there in Yerushalayim. And it was right under where uh, Yehusha HaMashiach was uh, crucified. And, um, you know, and, and Adam is actually buried right underneath it. But Adam was the first whose soul died in the land of Eden in the cave of treasure. So if you're paying attention to this. Everyone who's saying Eden's in the east, uh, it says right here, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim was in the land of Eden. Canaan was the land of Eden, all right, before the flood. The, the Jews and the Christians were saying this. Maybe they were wrong. I don't know. That's what it says. All right. First Adam and Eve, 1-9. And Elohim commanded him to live there in a cave in a rock, the cave of treasures, below the garden, all right? So the Garden of Eden is right above it, and Eden is right below. And he lives in the cave, right under the garden. All right, let's see, what is this? This is, um, okay, so this is a long section I'm not going to read uh, for lack of time. Second Adam and Eve. And what this is establishing here, as you can see here in, in the yellow and the red, it says, uh, it, it talks about how, therefore, did they all, at all time. this is Seth and his children, Therefore, they at all times hear the voice of angels praising and glorifying Elohim from within the garden or when they were sent by Elohim on an errand or when they were going up to heaven. Now, remember, this shouldn't be too hard. This shouldn't be hard to conceive because Yaakov has seen a portal going from the earth, Ha'aratz, up to the Shamayim, to the heaven. And so this, this idea is that like Eden at some point was down almost like hovering over the earth like right over mount moriah and it, it was it was so close they could smell it they could hear it they could they could taste it on their mouth i mean they could just look and it's right there they could see the gates it wasn't that far above them now it was a spiritual realm so I, I i don't know if just normal people might be able to see it but the sons of seth were able to uh being that they were on this mountain of worship for Seth and his children, by reason of their own purity, see, there it is, heard and saw those angels. Because of who they were, they were the sons of Elohim. Uh, they were called that. And because of that, they alone. So the sons of Cain wouldn't have been able to look up and see paradise. And as you, as you recall, Cain was an atheist. He didn't even believe in it. 
He's like, there, there is no afterlife. All that, all that you're saying, I don't see any of that. And then he killed him. Then again, the, it says, then again, the garden was not far above them. All right. And it says right here, they, uh, for the family of Seth smelled the smell of the trees in the garden when the wind blew that way. So I think what Yaakov is seeing here is I think he's seeing the ladder go up to paradise, up to the garden of Eden in the third heaven. All right, now we see first Adam and Eve 23, 4, and it says, Then Adam and Eve, or Hava or Chua, uh, took stones and placed them in the shape of an altar. And then they took leaves from the trees outside the garden uh, with which they wiped from the face of the rock the blood they had spilled. All right. Uh, so this is this is when we are seeing the altar get built. I want to establish Mount Moriah, Zion, where the temple was built, right? The city of David. It was the mountain of worship that Adam and Eve lived on. And there's the cave of treasures right below it. And they built the altar. All right. So let's keep moving forward in, in their story. Uh, the first time Adam witnessed the sinking of the sun, he was also seized with ancient fears. It happened at the conclusion of the Sabbath. And Adam said, woe is me for my sake, because I sinned. The world is darkened and it will again become void and without form. Thus will be executed the punishment of death, which Elohim has pronounced against me. Uh, he's, he's freaking out over the sun. All right. All the night he spent in tears in Eve too wept as she sat opposite to him. There is like this whole book is just them like crying. Like the whole book is <laughs> just the two of them getting together and having a cry party the whole time. And then like throwing themselves off rocks and, you know, trying to die. When day began to dawn, he understood that what he had deplored was but the course of nature. And he brought an offering into Elohim, a unicorn uh, whose horn was created before his hoofs. And he sacrificed it on the spot on which later the altar was to stand in Yerushalayim. So here again, now this is the legends of the Jews. Again, we have the altar, Mount of Worship, built by Adam and his and his woman, and the first sacrifice is a unicorn. Now, in order to have a unicorn sacrifice, it means it has to be a clean animal. It's got to have split hose and chew its cud. Uh, makes me think it's like a kind of a, a gazelle type of creature. And in fact, in a lot of the, the pictures I've seen of unicorns, Nowadays, when we think of unicorns, we think of like My Little Pony. We think of those like a, those like uh, a Budweiser horses, you know, those big old huge giant horses, you know, with a horn. And it's like, no, no, no. A lot of the old artwork, uh, and it's not rhinoceroses either. Um, a lot of the old artwork depicts. So I, I fully reject the rhinoceros story. They're not clean animals. But you can just see these more genteel, smaller creatures uh, with big old horn on them. Uh, all right, uh, let's see. Another one for Legends of the Jews. And uh, all right, this is talking about the slaying of Cain and Abel now. Slaying of, Cain, of Abel by Cain did not come as a wholly unexpected event to his parents. In a dream, Eve had seen the blood of Abel flow into the mouth of Cain. Now, in the book of uh, Adam and Eve, uh, also uh, Abel has a similar dream like that. Who drank it with avidity though his brother entreated him not to take all. When she told her dream to Adam, he said, lamenting, oh, that this may not pretend the death of Abel at the hand of Cain. He separated the two lads, assigned to each an abode of his own, and to each he taught a different occupation. And it's interesting that we see in all these stories, um, Cain and Abel getting separated by land. And it's 
kind of similar again to Esau and Yaakov, or how Abraham sent away his sons and gave his inheritance to Yitzhak. But specifically with Esau and Yaakov, we see a repeated pattern. Cain became a teller of the ground and Abel a keeper of sheep. And of course, Yitzhak was a keeper of sheep, whereas Yishmael was not. Uh, and um, not sure actually if yeah well yeah he marries yeah he is he's a shepherd we'll see all that tonight rachel was a shepherd uh leah was a shepherd and uh esau was not so abel was a keeper of sheep it was all in vain in spite of these precautions cain slew his brother all right let me just uh, fast forward uh, talking about their offering read the yellow here they brought their sacrifices on the 14th day of nisan at the insistence of their father who had spoken thus to his sons this is the day on which in the time to come Yasharah will offer sacrifices therefore do ye to bring sacrifices to your creator on that day that he may take pleasure in you and the place of offering which they chose was the spot where on the altar of the temple of Jerusalem stood later legends of the jews all right now this uh second adam and eve let's see what this says seth and his children dwelt on the mountain below the what the garden second paragraph then Seth often fasted every 40 days, as did also his eldest children. For the family of Seth smelled the smell of the trees in the garden when the wind blew that way. That had, that had to be very lovely. Second Adam and Eve, 11, 10 through 12. Getting back to the Aramaic Targum. Now we're in chapter 8, verse 20. Fast forwarding to, uh, let's see, and Noah. And Noah built the altar before Yahuwah. This is after the flood. The, that altar, which... Adam had built in the time when he was cast forth from the Garden of Eden and had offered an oblation upon it. Now, just so you know, because I, 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 the ark was, you know, it, it was in the Ararat Mountains. Okay, it's over there in Turkey. I personally think it took a great while to come over here to uh, the mountain of worship. He might have taken a trip and then gone back. I think he lived in the Turkey region for a while and then it, I think he lived in, um, the Damascus area for a while, but eventually he went and settled there. We know that uh, this is where Melchizedek built his temple, and according to the writings of Abraham, it's where Noah spent the last of his days in that temple, uh, fermenting wine. So when they actually discovered that temple, I kind of like had like a nerd moment because they found that it was it was a place for pressing wine, and I'm like, you know, that's Noah. No, you know, Noah built that. That's so awesome. But anyways, so he he built he rebuilds the altar there on. The mountain of worship uh it says uh let's see and upon it had cain and Abel offered their oblations all right this is from the aramaic targum 820. moving on aramaic targum 22:9. and they came to the place of which yahuwah had told him and abraham built there the altar which adam had built which had been destroyed by the waters of deluge which Noah had again built and which had been destroyed in the age of division. So uh, it sounds like uh, when probably Canaan went over there and claimed the land or whereabouts, he went and destroyed it. They were trying to wipe out any memory of Yahuwah. That's my thought. And we, we see that with the wells, right? We saw the same thing where they were going around destroying the memory, trying to scrub Yahuwah. All right. Uh, this is Legends of the Yahudim. Um, see, okay, the place on which Abraham had erected the altar was the same whereupon Adam had brought the first sacrifice, and Cain and Abel had offered their gifts to Elihim. 
The same Ron Noah raised an altar to Elohim after he left the ark. And Abraham, who knew that it was the place appointed for the temple. I feel like I'm just like driving this, just you know, beating this into the ground at this point. Because um, this is kind of interesting here. It says that, because uh, again, this is a portal. So this is important to talk about this. And this contrasts the Tower of Babel, right? Because you have the mount where Shem was, where Melchizedek was. And you had the mount that Nimrod built. And Nimrod was also trying to build a mountain that would go into heaven, some sort of portal. So this, we were talking about this beforehand and how the, the proposed mountain over there in China uh, that is the remains of the Tower of Babel, it's considered a holy divine mountain. Uh, and so the thing is, is that this, this was here. It says that Yitchak was carried to paradise by angels and there he sojourned for three years. Uh, and of course, this is the same one that uh, Yaakov went to, I, I believe, as well. And, um, you know, it's funny because it's like Esau didn't want to go, Yishmael didn't want to go, uh, you know, Cain wouldn't have wanted to go. You can't force holiness on people. You can, you can't you beat them over the head with it. They're like, no, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to pursue holiness. I don't care if that goes to heaven. I don't want to go there if I have to live a holy life. All right, Genesis 22, 19 from the Targum. And the angels on high took Yitchak and brought him into the school of Shem the Great, and he was there three years. So... Okay, that was from the legends of the Yahudim, and now we see the same thing in the Targum. All right. And then we see this in Yasher. And while they were gone, Abraham sent to the house of Shimon Eber, and they brought uh, from thence his son, Yitchak. So uh, it, it's almost like this idea that Shem's house is on the earth, but it, it, <laughs> it's a dualistic house. Like you, you step into it, and you go into another dimension kind of thing. Uh I'll give you guys something here. Has anybody seen? I should I should show this on my YouTube channel. There's that guy. It's a few years old. The video of the guy who, uh, like he keeps going into his bedroom and he has the Berenstain Bears or um and or yeah, it's the Berenstain and then it becomes the Berenstein Bears when he goes into the bedroom and he comes back out. It's the Berenstain Bears again and then he goes back in. It's the Berenstein Bears. It's really it's really trippy. Like he shows it on camera the entire time and he's like this this like dimensional thing he's going through. And I almost get that with like with Shim's house. You step in and it's like, okay, close the door. <laughs> and then, whoop. Uh, yeah. And of course, the writings of Abraham talk about how his, uh, how it was taken up. I know that the Melchizedek's temple is there now, but uh, I, I just think that was left behind. But I think his house was taken up. I, that's what it says in the writings of Abraham. It kind of like closed shop. After Yaakov, he was like the last student. And then it was gone. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, a certain ram which had been created between the evenings and the foundation of the world was held in the entanglement of a tree. Why did I read that? That's the targum. It's because the ram came through the portal, right? It was created in the heavens for the beginnings of the foundations of the world. So this is for the recreation of it. Like this is, you know what, how we talked about uh, in Genesis 1, how there's very few creation words, right? Because they're just being replenished from heaven. There you go, right there. A ram that being plenished on the earth that was created a long time ago. All right, here we go. It's on a scone. Let's cover this. Man, I'm not going to make it tonight. <laughs> Pausing for some coffee, though. Hope you guys are enjoying this. You can see right there pictures of Stone of Scone, kind of more modern. And uh, there's uh, Queen uh, Elizabeth, um, died a year and a half ago or so. How the time flies. 
Uh, and of course, she's being, you can see right there, she's being coronated on the Stone of Scone. There it is in Westminster Abbey. Now, my idea here is that we read about how on this stone, right? I wasn't there, so I don't really know, but I highly suspect that Yahushua HaMashiach was coronated on this stone. All right. And you guys have heard me say time and again that Britain was like ground zero for the millennial kingdom. All right. Just, you know, thinking about that, like in Westminster Abbey, that he could have been coronated right there. All right. So this is uh, coming from Genesis 49 now. And this is the supper. And it says, uh, this is talking about, this is when Yaakov is now dying and he's talking about his 12 sons and blessing them. And you can see here at the very end, it says, from thence is the shepherd, the stone of Yasharel. And the idea is, is that Yosef actually inherited this stone. And uh, this stone, uh, when his brothers finally went out to Egypt or to Mitrine, they would have brought the stone with him. Yosef would have had the stone. Um, and then, of course, the stone would have been carried out with him just as his body was carried. Remember, all the, all the brothers, they were buried back in Canaan, uh, each in their time. The only the one that wasn't was Yosef, and he was carried, Moshe and the others carried him out. They would have carried this stone with them, all right? So now we're starting on the wilderness of Zen. We're going we're gonna to read two different accounts, the wilderness of Zen and the wilderness of Zen. And people will say it's the same account retold, uh, which I think is completely untrue. These were taken about 38 to 40 years apart. The first is uh, we read in Exodus 17:6, and it says, "Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in uh, in Horeb, and you shall smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink." And Moshe did so in the sight of the elders of Yisrael. Now we've seen this rock. If you look at pictures of Saudi Arabia, like uh, uh, Mount Sinai area, it's like right there. This is a huge rock. It split in half. Water came out. All right. So this is not the same rock. Let's go next to the wilderness of Zen. 38 to 40 years later, most likely. Take the rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aaron, your brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Now, he doesn't say, it doesn't say to smite the rock. right? It's different. It's a different story. He's to speak to the rock. And you shall bring forth to them water out of the rock. So you shall give the assembly and their beast drink. And Moshe took the rod from before Yahuwah, or Yahuwah, as he had commanded him. And Moshe and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moshe lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. And it's because of this, this very thing he just did, that he was not allowed to enter the land. And it, we see immediately the next verse. Um, and Yahuwah spoke unto El Moshe and El Aaron. It's interesting, it puts the El there in front of them in this passage. Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Yasharel. They were basically very disrespectful to this rock. All right. But keep in mind, uh, Yahuwah is saying, you disrespect me. And they hit the rock. Therefore, ye shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. All right, so ouch. Now, keep in mind, remember, this rock is the cornerstone of the temple. And who is the cornerstone that they rejected? Yahushua HaMashiach. And it's Yahuwah speaking, and he's the rock. And he's the Messiah. All right? Put the pieces together here. All right. 
this is what it says in the Talmud, you know. So if you want to cover your ears right here for the next like 10 seconds, you're free to do so. Two arcs came up out of the land of Egypt with Yashrael, one containing the uh the stone sh- Yastone, the right, the stone of Shkon, and the other the body of Yosef. All right. Uh they actually say the stone of Shkon, but the thing is is that what the Yahudin do is that they, they can't give any credence to Britain. They can't, they can't do that. So, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it later. Let's just have fun getting there. We see this in the ascents of Yaakov. Um, but when Moshe had gone up to the mountain, was staying there 40 days, the people, although they had seen Mitraim struck with the 10 plagues and the sea parted and passed over the, by them on foot. Manna also given to them from heaven or for bread, and drink supply to them out of the rock that followed them. Okay, this is not a rock. It's not talking about a rock that's in the desert sitting there. This rock, it went with them wherever they went. And it water poured out of this rock. Which which kind of food was turned into whatever taste and anyone desired. Which there's another thing right there. I talked about the manna in the millennial kingdom. And whatever you wanted it to taste like, it tasted like that. It says that right there in the sense of Yaakov. It says that in rabbinical text too. So there you have a Christian and a Jewish text uh, you know, uh, agreeing. All right. Next is uh, 1 Corinthians 10.1. This one really blew me out of the water when I read this. Uh, this is this is Paul. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, some, somebody commented and said, I quote from Paul too much. I really don't think I quote from Paul too much. Uh, I don't think quoting from him like once per week of all these quotes is coming from too much, but what? I guess once is too much, right? Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. It sounds like Yaakov, right? And we're all baptized into Moshe, the cloud and the sea. That's kind of cool. And did all eat the same spiritual food, right? This is the manna that tasted like whatever you wanted to taste like. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. Same spirit. What, what spiritual drink is that, Paul? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Mashiach. Wow. That's 1 Corinthians 10.1. And Yahushua wrote these words in the Sefer of the Torah of Elohim. This is, uh, okay, so this is not Yahushua Mashiach. This is Yahushua as in Joshua, the book of Joshua. And he took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of Yahuwah. Why would this stone be next to the sanctuary? This is not, by the way, this is out in, um, uh, where was it at this time? It's not, it's not in, um, is it Shiloh? It might not be Shiloh yet. I think it's over by Shechem at this point, but whatever. That's a mute point. It's not in Jerusalem. It's, but there's a stone following around with the, uh, the sanctuary that they were set up. This is the stone we've been looking at. The one that became one stone with Yaakov. That's Messiah. It's Mashiach. Yahuwah. Uh, and so this is interesting. Uh, yeah, so it's in Shechem at this point. So, and the bones of Yosef with the children of Yashorel brought up out of Mitrine, buried they in Shechem. Uh, it's basically saying that uh, uh, that this, he was finally buried there. And so it makes sense why the stone was there as well at this time. Uh, and then we see in Judges 9, 6, and all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech a, a king. Is not the same Abimelech, obviously, we read in Genesis. By the plain of the pillar that was to Shechem. So um, we see the, the pillar is still there at this time. 
that hasn't moved to Yerushalayim yet. And on this pillar, they would coronate and make kings. Hmm. I like the I like the stone of scone. Like the scone stone. All right, let's keep reading. Um, oh, well, you know what? I guess I kind of end there. So I didn't want to get too far into this, but um, well, if if you kind of read my present, if you look at my presentation that I did on this stone of scone, it's a, from there, you know, Yirmiyahu, Baruch, they're given Nebuchadnezzar's purse. They can go whatever, do whatever they want. And he has the mission of uprooting the kings of Judah and planting them elsewhere. He goes into Egypt. He goes up to uh, presumably Spain. He gets Titepi there, a Judean princess of, of the house of David. He goes up to Ireland, plants her as a queen, and the rest is history. And then we find the Stone of Scone waiting there for the uh, with the rise of Christianity and as well as the Millennial Kingdom. So that's my whole stick on that. All right, uh, let's continue reading Paleo Bereshia 29, 1 through 30. Then Yaakov arose onto his feet and went towards the land of the sons of the east. And he looked and saw a well on the field, and there were by it three flocks of sheep. For from that, from that well they watered the flocks. But a great stone was on the mouth of the well. So when all the flocks had collected there, they rolled away the stone and watered the sheep and then returned the stone onto the mouth of the well until another time. Yaakov therefore asked them, Brothers, where do you come from? And they replied, We are from Haran. Then he asked them if they knew, if they know Laban, the son of uh, Nekawar, to which they answered, We know him. He, he next asked them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And then he asked, Look, it is full day already. Is it not time to water the cattle and sheep that they may go and feed? But they replied, we cannot until all the flocks are collected. And they rolled away the stone from, the, from off the mouth of the well and watered the sheep. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father, father's sheep, for she shepherded them. But it happened that when Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, the brother of his mother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Yaakov rolled the stone from off the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his mother's brother, Laban. Uh, so this is where they talk about the miracle with one arm. Uh, now, uh, hopefully if I have time, I'll talk about this, that apparently, you know, again, he, uh, he was supposed to marry Rachel. Rachel was the woman he was supposed to marry. Uh, but you know, the problem was, is as you know, Esau was supposed to marry Leah first. Then Yaakov kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now, the idea of kissing here, obviously, it's like they're uh, uh, cousins, right? They're, they're, they're family. They're embracing each other, like with an Italian kiss, you know, a greeting. And he wept, kind of like people of the Mediterranean might do when they, you know, they're very emotional, right? Uh, of course, I'm sure he's he's thrilled to finally make it. Like, he's he made it, right, on his journey. And Yaakov said to Rachel, I do it because I am a relative of your father. So there you go reading of a relative and because i am the son of uh a rivka or rabuka rabuka i practiced this all day and i got it down now i can't do it rabakuha is that right so she ran and reported it to her father when laban heard the report about yaakov the son of his sister and of course laban as you know is bad news the son of his sister and of course his sister was rivka 
he ran to invite him, embraced them, and kissed them, and brought him to his home, where he related to Laban all these events. Then Laban declared, you are my bone and my flesh. So he stayed with him a month of days when Laban said to Yaakov, since you are my relative, now serve me and also inform me what wages I shall pay you. Now keep in mind, you know, he showed up with nothing, right? So uh, Laban is obviously going to use this to his advantage. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the eldest was Leah, Leha, which is a pretty name, but as you know, Leah. And the name of the youngest was Rachel. But the eyes of Leha were tender, and those of Rachel perfect in form. And she was a vision to look upon, a vision, mind you. Now, the the uh, the rabbis and of course the religions of the Jews talk about how uh, Leah was beautiful, but when they talk about um, uh, the her eyes were tender. Uh, <laughs> so well, okay, I'll get to it. I, I don't want to ruin it. I'll, I'll read it. I'll read a section from it. So he replied, "I will serve you seven years for your youngest daughter, Rachel." I guess he, you know, figured out like that's the that's the bride price, right? He's actually selling himself into uh, like as an indentured servant into a type of slavery. Of which, when he gets the other end, he's promised so much, you know, stuff. He's promised the, this woman. And it's so such a shame, too. I mean, imagine if he just showed up and he just had the money. You know, kind of like Eliezer, right? Just give him the gifts, get on the camel, head back. Laban then replied, good. And I, that's the other thing, too. It's like I, what I never figured out is, I mean, if I were, if I were robbed by my brother and his gang, I mean, I might just walk back to my parents and go sorry your your son that you love the my your oldest son stole it from me you know like he didn't do that i, I that's one thing i just I, I never really understood um but maybe he, maybe it was just he understood his destiny maybe he understood that you know and we saw that uh, his mother ripka was like you know you're going to be going there for a long time good she shall be yours i will give her for a woman after you have stayed with me. So Yaakov uh, waited for Rachel seven years, but they were to him like a single day because of the love he had for her. And that's an interesting contrast there with like the supposedly the single day it took him to get there, right? And then, which it should have been like weeks or months journey, uh, probably months, um, but uh, weeks for sure on a camel, but he's walking, right? So we're talking Forrest Gump here. Like, you know, he's jogging. It's like going to take him a year to get there. He gets there in one day. Uh, then Yaakov said to Laban, give me my woman for the time is up and I will go to her. Laban then collected all the men of the place and made a feast. And when it was dark, this is some of the stuff. And when it was dark, he took Leha, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he had sexual intercourse with her. Laban also gave uh, Zalafaha, his servant, to Leha to be her servant. But when it was morning, he discovered it was Leha. And he said to Laban, why have you done this to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Then why have you cheated me? But Laban answered, it is not our custom in this country to give the younger before the elder. Count the seven for this, and I will give you also the other. And for her, you shall serve with me another seven years afterward. Yaakov, therefore, agreed to it. That he would serve thus so he gave rachel his daughter to to him for a woman laban also gave rachel uh, balahaha 
his servant to be her servants. He therefore went to Rachel, and he loved Rachel completely and served to him other seven years afterwards. So, I mean, it wasn't a terrible tragedy, right? I mean, he still, like, he worked seven years and seven more days. He got Rachel. Like, he didn't, I mean, if it had to be, like, 14 years, that would have been, that would have been bad. All right, let's see what it says in Yasher here. Yasher 31, 1 through 13. And in the seventh year, Yaakov's uh, service, which he served Laban, was completed. And Yaakov said to Laban, give me my wife, give me my woman, for the days of my service are fulfilled. And Laban did so. And Laban and Yaakov assembled all the people of that place, and they made a feast. And, and in the evening, Laban came to the house, and afterward Yaakov came there with the people of the feast. And Laban extinguished all the lights that were in the house. So, and Genesis just says it was dark, right? But it's like, yeah, it's nighttime, but he goes and they put out all the candles. And Yaakov said to Laban, wherefore dost thou do this thing unto us? And Laban answered, such is our custom to act in this land. <laughs> They're custom to get married totally in the dark. Uh, and afterwards, Laban took his daughter Leah and he brought her to Yaakov, and he came to her, and Yaakov did not know that she was Leah. And Laban gave his daughter Leah, his maid, Zilpah, for a handmaid. All right. Um, oh, this, okay, it's jumping to verse 7 here, trying to make up some time. And all the neighbors came that night to Yaakov's house, and they ate and drank and rejoiced and played for Leah upon timbrels and with dances, and they responded before Yaakov, Leah, Leah. You see what they're doing there? They're saying, Leah, Leah. <laughs> With their with their like symbols and stuff like that. Hilly, uh, that's the only time you're gonna hear me sing, by the way. Uh, unless if you come to my house and you hear me singing with my daughter with the wiggles. And Yaakov heard their words but did not understand their meaning. Uh, but he thought such might be their custom in this land. And the neighbors spoke these words before Yaakov during the night, and all the lights that were in the house, Laban had that night extinguished. Of course, you guys know, right? Hilia, right? It's for Leah. And in the morning, when daylight appeared, Yaakov turned to his wife, and he saw, and behold, it was Leah. And he's like, oh, that's the song they were singing that had been lying in his bosom. And Yaakov said, behold, now I know what the neighbors said last night. Leah, they said, and I knew it not. And Yaakov caught unto Laban and said unto him, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Surely I serve thee for Rachel. And why did thou deceive me and did give me Leah? And Laban answered Yaakov, saying, not so is it done in our place to give the younger before the elder. And you guys, of course, know this. Uh, okay. And he took, he went on and took uh, Rachel for a wife. All right. Uh, Aramic Targum, I thought he put a passage in here. Maybe I'll still get to it about uh, the agreement between Rivka and Laban about who was to marry who. Um, hopefully, I, hopefully, I put that in there. All right. Uh, let's see. Do I want to read this for lack of time? Um well, let's see. Let's see what I can do. And Yaakov lifted up his feet light, lightly to proceed, and he came to the land of the children of the east. Um, let's see. I'm just going to scroll through this because I'm losing time here, losing daylight, uh, just like Yaakov at uh, Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. Uh, let's see here. Choo, choo, choo. All right, what I what I wanted to show you guys in here. Oh, so this is kind of interesting. It says right here, and it was when Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, that Yaakov went nigh 
and roll the stone with one of his arms from the mouth of the well. So you see this in the Aramaic Targum here. He's, he's rolling it with one arm. Uh, that, not what I wanted you to see, though. And the well arose, uprose, and the waters ascended to the top of it, right? So it's like overflowing now. This is like the waters of life, right, coming up. And and he watered the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, and it uprose for 20 years. So as long as, as Yaakov is there, the blessing of Yaakov is on this water. And, you know, we're going to see tonight that nobody seems to get it. They 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 actually start accusing Yaakov of like stealing from them and this kind of stuff and it's just all these blessings abounding and they're just so envious of what he has. This is one of the themes we see with all with the Millennial Kingdom guys, like the envy towards the kingdom and how they've scrubbed it and destroyed it and you know covered up the wells and all that kind of stuff and they they don't want anybody to know about it, right? They're so envious of the the, the you know the the treasures of the kingdom. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay. I'm just going to skip all this. But I do want to read from the Legends of the Jews. I want to read you this here. The Marriage of Yaakov. I thought this was really interesting information. After Yaakov had served Laban seven years, he said to his uncle, Yahuwah destined me to be the father of 12 tribes. I am now 84 years old. Maybe he shouldn't have uh, given him that information. Sometimes you can give someone too much information. And if I do not take thought of the matter now, when can I? Thereupon Laban consented to let him have his daughter Rachel to wife. And he was married 44 years after his brother Esau. So it sounds like his brother Esau married 44 years earlier. And again, Esau should have married Leah according to the agreement. Yahuwah often defers the happiness of the pious while he permits the wicked to enjoy the fulfillment of their desires soon. Esau, however, had purposely chosen his 40th year for his marriage. He had wanted to indicate that he was walking the footsteps of his father, Yitzhak, who had likewise married at 40 years of age. Of course, remember now, Esau was a deceiver, right? Everything he did was deception. Esau was like a swine that stretches out his feet when it lies down to show that it is cloven-footed like the clean animals, though it is nonetheless one of the unclean animals. Well, that's interesting. Until his 40th year, Esau made a practice of violating the wives of other men. And then at his marriage, he acted as though he were following the examples of his pious father. Remember what he did on the day that Abraham died? When he killed Nimrod, he went into a, uh, a married woman. Accordingly, the woman he married was of his own kind, uh, Yehudith, the daughter of Heth. For Elohim or Alhayam said, This one who is designed for stubble to be burnt by fire shall take into wife one of the people also destined for utter destruction. All right. Um, okay. Maybe this is what I wanted you to read. For, for different it was with Yaakov. He married the two pious and lovely sisters, Leah and Rachel. For Leah, like her younger sister, was beautiful of countenance, form, and stature. She had but one defect. Her eyes were weak. And we read that in the paleogenesis and this malady i always want to say malady but it malady she had brought down upon herself through her own action laban who had two daughters and uh rivka his sister who had two sons had agreed by a letter all right so they're writing each other um with the mail service back then the uh, uh king og uh, rephim uh, mail service now oh, i just made that up 
while their children were still young, that the older son of the, of the one was to marry the older daughter of the other, and the younger son of the younger daughter uh, was to do the same. And of course, remember how much Esau, even though he deceived his father, grieved them eventually. When Leah grew to maidenhood and inquired about her future husband, all her tidings spoke of his villainous character. And she, Esau now, okay, she heard all, she's hearing all these evil things about Esau. And she wept over her fate until her eyelashes dropped from their lids. I don't know if, you know, this is the legends of the Jews. I don't know where they're sourcing this from. It's not from any book I've read. But Rachel grew more and more beautiful day by day. For all who spoke of Yaakov praised and extolled him, and good tidings make the bones fat. Now, I'm under the impression here, guys, that that Leah and uh, uh, Leah and her sister's name, Rachel, they're actually twins. Um, I know it doesn't say that right here. I'm under that impression. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think it's 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 a it's same thing with Adam and Eve again. We see in the book of Adam and Eve, they too had twin sisters. Twin sisters were supposed to marry the twin brothers. Leah and Rachel are supposed to marry the twins, Yaakov uh, uh, and Esau. In view of the agreement between Laban and Rivka. Now, again, I'm married to a twin. Right? I'm married to an identical twin. And a lot of people would be like, well, you know, even if the lights were on, he might mistake, you know, uh, uh, Rebecca for Leah. Not like, no, 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 no. Like, even if they're identical twins, like if you can, if you're intimately involved, if you're like in love with what, like you can tell the difference. And I could tell you guys so many stories. I don't have time to, I could just do story hour about what it's like being married to an identical twin and how all these other people claim they can't tell the difference. And you're like, really? Like it's a night and day difference to me, but to all these other people who are like, they look straight at both of them and they're like, how do you tell them apart? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do. It's not, I've never missed it. It's not that hard. But I have a lot of actually uh, stories, some uh, funnier than others about that. Uh, in view of the, I was about to tell you one, but I stopped myself <laughs> looking at the time. Like, I'm not going to make it. In view of the, of the agreement between Laban and Rebecca, Rebecca, Yaakov refused to marry the older daughter, Leah. Again, because you know he knew he knew who his appointed wife was as it was esau was his mortal enemy on account of what had happened regarding the birthright and paternal blessing for now yaakov married the maiden appointed for him esau would never forgive his younger brother if he married the wife appointed to him but so i i don't know what's going on here i don't know if esau is is refusing to marry her just so yaakov his young his younger brother can't get a wife because he's like, aha, if I don't marry Leah, you can't marry. I don't know what's going on here. But you can now start to see that what's happening, that uh, Yaakov offered Esau the, the bride price. And Esau should have taken that money and gone and purchased Leah with it. He didn't. He just took it and ran. You can kind of see what's happening here now. Hopefully the picture is coming together in a new way. Laban was of another mind. He purposed to marry of his older daughter first. I mean, not surprising, really. I mean, that's still a custom all over the world. For he knew that Yaakov would consent to serve him a second period of seven years of love for Rachel. On the day of the wedding, he assembled the inhabitants of Haran and addressed them as follows. Uh, you know well that we used to suffer from lack of water. And as soon as the pious man Yaakov come, came to dwell among us, 
we had water in abundance. What, uh, what have thou in mind to do? They asked Laban. He replied, if ye have not to say against it, I will deceive him and give him Leah to wife. All right, I want to skip it here, ahead here. Um, let's see. You see the same thing, the Holly uh, type of thing. It's kind of funny. All right, but this is really good. Uh, this is I thought this was such a great observation, Legends of the Jews. When the bride was led into the nuptial, the nuptial chamber, the guests extinguished all the candles, uh, whatever. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Yaakov, therefore, did not discover the deception practice upon him until the morning because they even went and extinguished all the candles in the bride chamber. During the night, Leah responded whenever he called Rachel. All right. So at this point, now you're trying to figure out like what's going through Leah's head, right? She clearly doesn't want to marry Esau. Uh, she knows that her younger sister is appointed for Yaakov. But on the other hand, so the question I have, what how how much of this is part of her deception? I think she's doing exactly what her father said to do. I think she's being obedient to her father. In the same way that the deception with uh, with Yitchak when Yaakov went in and pretended to be Esau, whose idea was it? It was Rivka's idea. Where did Rivka get it from? From the Ruach HaKadosh. He was being obedient to his mother. He was honoring his mother. He did. He was under his parents' household. He's like, okay, I'll do it. I don't get it, but I'll do it. And I think the same thing is happening with here with Leah. Now, she's being deceptive, though, in the same way as Yaakov did. This, this really, I never saw this connection before, but look what she says. He says, uh, oh, thou deceiver, daughter of a deceiver. He's calling his wife this. Like, you know, they, they just had intercourse, you know, who knows how many times. And now he's like pissed. And he's like, you know, daughter of a deceiver. Why did thou dis answer me when I called Rachel's name? I mean, that had to hurt, right? He's getting a taste of his own message. She says, uh, is there a teacher without a pupil? She's saying, she's saying I, I took notes. I learned from you. I'm doing exactly what you did. I but profited by thy instruction. When you, when thy father called thee Esau, didst thou not say, here am I? Ooh. <laughs> uh, that, that's such a like, great, the great line there. All right. Uh, oh, and so I wanted to show you here. Uh, yeah, I'm putting this on. I'm sorry I'm not reading all your notes tonight. I was getting a lot more of them last week when uh, Michael... Uh, I was I having time to read them while Michael was talking, but uh, uh, Pamela also said, I read somewhere that they were twins, cannot remember where. For the life of me, I can't remember either, but I, I just have it in my mind that they were twins. I was trying to look that up. Okay. So this is from First Adam and uh, Eve, or Ashaha, which is a beautiful name. That's uh, uh, Pamela's version in the paleo, Ashaha. And that night while he was praying, Satan, I think it's Seth uh, here praying, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. This is Havel praying. Uh, Satan, uh, Seth isn't born yet. Satan appeared to him under the figure, under the figure of a man, who said to him, "You have frequently moved your father into making offerings, fasting, and praying. Therefore, I will kill you, and make you perish from this world." But as for Havel, he prayed to Elohim and drove away Satan from them, and did not believe the words of the devil. Then, when it was day, an angel of Elohim appeared to him, who said to him, "Do not cut short either fasting, praying, or offering up an offering to your Elohim. First, for look, uh, Yahuwah had accepted your prayer. Be not afraid of the figure which appeared to you in the night and who cursed you to death." And the angel departed from him. 
then when it was day, Havel, uh, Havel came to Adam and, uh, and Ashaha, I saw an E here, but Ashaha, and told them of the vision he had seen. When they heard it, they grieved much over it, but said nothing to him about it. They only comforted him. Now, keep in mind, why am I reading this? Because Rivka had the same uh, same thing, where Esau's like, unlike Cain, I'm going to wait till my dad dies, and then I'm going to kill him. I'm not going to make that mistake. And Rivka's like, oh, my goodness, my eldest son's going to kill my younger son, right? So we're seeing this replay. But as to the hard-hearted Cain, Satan came to him by night, showed himself, and said to him, since Adam and Eve love your brother Hamel so much more than they love you. And you figure maybe this is how Esau is feeling, right? They're probably both feeling that way. They wish to join him in marriage to your beautiful sister because they love him. However, they wish to join you in marriage to his ugly sister because they hate you. <laughs> so maybe he's thinking that. Maybe Esau's like, oh, Leah's the, she's the, she's the, probably the ugly one. They, they just want me to marry her. And she wasn't. She was beautiful, just so everyone knows. Um, and I, I think this probably too, even though Lulua, uh, who uh, was the, the sister that uh, 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 Havel was supposed to marry, it says that she was more beautiful than even Eve, that she was, she surpassed her beauty. She was just a beautiful woman. And apparently that's what Lulua means. Now, before they do that, I'm telling you that you should kill your brother. That way your sister will be left for you and his sister will be cast away. And Satan departed from him, but the devil remained behind in Cain's heart and frequently aspired to kill his brother. All right. Seeing connections. Moving on. Paleo Bear Shia 29. I can't believe I got like 35 minutes left. I'm like, ah, let's get ready. All right. But Yahuwah, the ever-living, saw that he hated uh, Leeha. So he opened her womb, but Rachel was childless. That's really interesting how uh, Yahuwah works there. So Leha conceived and bore a son. And I, I, I think like Yahuwah is like, you look, it's not, it's not her fault. Like, you know, she didn't do anything wrong here. And she called his name, uh, this is going to be Reuben. And I put in here, this is not in the, uh, I put this here to kind of give me a visual note to see. For she declared that Yahuwah, the ever living, has looked on my sorrow, has looked on my sorrow, so that now my husband may love me. Now I'm going to comment here really quickly that, the first three sons that Leah has, uh, she gives them names. It's interesting that she gives them names. Uh, it, you know, it's like, remember, Abraham was the one who named Yitzhak after the fact that his wife left. It wasn't that Sharaha named him that, as Abraham remembering that name. But she's naming her three sons that uh, seem to be like her, her desire to be loved by her husband. She really wants to be loved by him. And so she gives them, so we see the first one is to see. She wants to be seen uh, for, look, look what I gave you. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now the ever-living has heard that he hates me. So so obviously that's on her mind. She's like, man, like, so he has given to me also this. So she called the name uh, Shama uh, Shama or to hear, right? She wants to be heard. She wants to be seen. She wants to be heard. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, Now certainly my husband will cling to me, for I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called his name uh, La, uh, well, this is uh, Levi. Uh, it would be Simon and uh, Simon and Levi, and to attach. She also conceived again and bore a son, and she said, This time I will praise Yahuwah. So she called his name 
this would be Yehuda. Uh, Yeha, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I didn't practice this one today. Yehuda. Then she ceased to bear children. When Rachel saw that she bore no child to Yaakov, she envied her sister and said to Yaakov, Give me children, and if not, I shall die. But Yaakov's anger flared up at Rachel, and he answered, Am I in the place of Allah Hayam to hold back from you the fruit of your body? It's kind of an interesting, um, I mean, a similar phrase to what Yitchak told uh, Rivka as well when she got angry at him for not having any children. She therefore declared, so I, I think in this case, Yaakov's like, I mean, however insensitive this comes across, it's like, look, I know that I can have children because well, it probably didn't help uh, Rachel anymore. But it's like, look, Leah just had like five sons and, and Rachel's like, tell me about it. I know, right? Uh, she therefore declared, see now my attendant, uh, uh, Boha, or uh, Balahaha. And we're going to see the same thing again with Sharaha when she gives Abraham Hagar. Go to her and she shall bear at my knee. The idea of bearing at her knee is that when that baby comes out, it's going to be Rachel's baby. So that I also myself shall have children from her. So she gave to him uh, Balahaha, her servant for a woman. And Yaakov went to her, and she conceived and bore a son to Yaakov. Then Rachel said, Allah Hayam has done me justice, and also has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Again, uh, Balaha, the servant of Rachel, conceived, bore a son to Yaakov. When Rachel exclaimed, I struggle with Allah Hayam. I also struggle with my sister. So she called his name Naphtali. Now, I find it really interesting that... Uh, uh, Dan uh, will eventually, I think, well, I don't know, we'll get through the Torah portions, but Dan was the most troublesome tribe uh, from the very beginning, and they were the first to give up their uh, land inheritance. They moved up to Og uh, territory, to Bashan, and eventually they moved on from there. And, uh, you know, the records seem to show that Dan was the seafarers. Uh, they were probably the Vikings, uh, if we're going by official history here. Uh, you know, they moved all the way up to Sweden, and there, there's a lot of Dan's way up in the north. Uh, apparently, they went, they sailed down around Africa, and they went down to, I think, Cameroon. And Naphtali, I meant to look this up today, just so I'm not giving you false information. But I'm pretty sure Naphtali, according to my past notes, uh, what appears to be like uh, the, the Mongols, like Genghis Khan. Uh, Naphtali was a a fearsome tribe of warriors as Dan was as well. So it's kind of interesting that these two sons that come out of Rachel's uh, maidservants, um, you know, go on to become these tribes uh, all over, scattered all over the world. When Le Aaliyah saw that she ceased to bear, she took Salabhaha, uh, her attendant, and gave her to Yaakov for a woman. So, Zalapaha, the servant of Leah, bore a son to Yaakov. I mean, this is like painful to read on one hand. And on the other hand, it's kind of a comedy. I mean, keep in mind, though, that a comedy is a great tragedy, right? We always think of dramas as a great tragedy. Actually, comedy is a great tragedy. Um, I mean, it's it's just it's like painful to read this and see like that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are some guys out there uh, that are reading this and going, 
wow, this is amazing. Look at all the sex this guy is getting. I mean, I'm reading this and going, like, he's surrounded by four women who are in competition and not getting along. And, you know, two sisters who I don't even know if they're talking to each other. I mean, this is like not a not a situation I want to be. Uh, for the for the men out there who uh, think polygyny is a good idea, uh, good luck with that. Because <laughs> I don't see like any like examples in scripture where it turned out well. Um, then Leah declared by a troop and called his name Gad. Uh, Zalapah, the attendant of Leah, also bore a second son to Yaakov and. Leah exclaimed, I am blessed, for the woman will bless me. She therefore called his name Asher. Now, I've said often in the past that Israel has four mommies, you know, which is true, but technically I guess it's really two, right? Because they were they were born for either uh, Leah or uh, Rachel. Uh, Reuben once went out at that time of the wheat harvest and found love apples in, in the fields. Oh, I, I would be curious, uh, Pamela, she's in the room right now, uh, about the love apples translation, and brought them to Leah, his mother. When Rachel saw, said to Leah, give me, I pray, some of your son's love apples. Uh, but she said, is it a trifle that you have taken my man and would... <laughs> <laughs> and would you also take the apples of my son? I'm going to read that one more time because this is this is like the best line tonight. Is it a trifle that you have taken my man? And and would you also take the apples of my son? When Rachel replied, "Come now, he shall sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's apples." <laughs> They're actually exchanging sex as currency here for apples. All right. Uh, so when Yaakov came from the field in the evening, Leah met him and said to him, you must come for I have hired you with the love of the love apples of my son. So sleep with me tonight. And Allah Hayam heard Leah. So she conceived and bore a fifth son to Yaakov. Wow. I guess those love apples, even, <laughs> even Yahuwah, uh, uh, honored that. I want to know. I want to know about these love apples more. Uh, Leah therefore said, "Alaham has paid me wages because I gave my servant to my husband." She therefore called his name. Uh, this would be Ishakar or Yasha uh, Shakar. Yasha Shakar. Leah afterwards conceived again a sixth son to Yaakov. Then Leah said, "Alaham has endowed me, even me, with a good dowry, so that my husband will live with me, for I have borne him six sons." Therefore, she called his name. Zebulun or Zabalatlan. She afterwards also bore a daughter and called her name Dinah or uh, Dinu Ha. But Allah but remembered Rachel and always listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son. Then she said, Allah has taken away my reproach. She therefore called his name Yosef or Yahwasaf, saying, Yahuwah, the ever living, has added to me another son. But it occurred that when Rachel had born uh, Yosef, Yaakov said to Laban, send me away and I will go to my own home and to my own country. Give me my woman and my children whom I have served you for, because I must go with them, for you know the wages for which I have served you. But he replied, name your wages to me and I will give them to you. I will give you them. So he answered, 
you know that I have served you and how your herds have been with me, for they were small that were, that were with you before me. The idea is, is that, um, I didn't read you this, but the idea was, is that there was also, remember he went to Abimelech because of the drought, well, this huge famine was out there too. And apparently the flocks had been decimated. And remember what was happening when uh, Yaakov was going, or, no, I'm sorry, when Yitzhak was going around during this famine, wherever he digs, digs, these wells come up and it just prospers and the people are still sealing them. So the same thing is happening here. Now, Yaakov is going back here during a famine and the sheep are now prospering, even though they should be dying. Um, and Yahuwah the ever-living has uh, blessed you at my feet, or Barakahayu. Yet have I gained even a house of my own. But he replied, what shall I give? Then Yaakov answered, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will conduct your sheep and guard them. I will go over your sheep today counting. Every sheep speckled or spotted, and every black sheep among the lambs, and every spotted or speckled in the lambs, they shall be my wages. And you shall assign them justly to me from today forward as my wages from you. And that is not spotted or speckled in the goats or black in the sheep. It shall be, it shall be a theft with me. And Laban replied, it shall be exactly as you say. He therefore separated on that day the marked and spotted rams and the marked and speckled of the goats from all that were white and all that were black sheep and gave them to the hands of his sons and put a three days journey between them and between Yaakov's. But Yaakov shepherded the other sheep for Laban, his father-in-law. And Yaakov then selected young wands of willow and almond and sycamore and peeled them, peeling to the white so as to show the whiteness of the wands. And he stuck the wands, which he had peeled near the watering uh, troughs where the sheep came to drink, in the side of the sheep when they were not when they were hot for breeding after drinking. So the sheep were hot amongst the wands and bore, and the sheep bore marked and spotted and speckled. Then Yaakov separated the lambs and placed the faces of the sheep toward the, the uh, stripped and gave all the black among the sheep of Laban to his own flocks and did not assign them to the sheep of Laban. Thus, when any of the strong sheep were hot for union, then Yaakov placed them among the wands. Before the feeble of the sheep, however, he placed them not. So the feeble went to Laban and the strong to Yaakov. Thus the man increased very much and he possessed many sheep and women and men servants and camels and asses. Of course, he's it, it, it's kind of interesting, right? Because the, the speckled sheep is, I'm under, I'm assuming that, you know, the, because they're not pure white, right? They're for wool clothing and other garments and things that you would use wool for the, the speckled or much cheaper currency, right? So he's like, yeah, I'll give you that. You know, he, he doesn't think he's going to have many of them, right? And they're just, it's like they're, it's like the trouble with tribbles are just replicating, duplicating everywhere. But he heard the words of the sons of Laban speaking, Yaakov will take for himself all that our father has, and from our father possess he has made all his wealth. Yaakov consequently regarded the face of Laban and perceived it was not with him as formerly. So again, we're seeing the same thing with the strife, the contention that followed Yitzhak around. Now it's with Yaakov. The family he's married into now, they are so envious of his wealth. And they're, they just, it's almost like, you know, yeah, if they can't have it, then it's like, you know, leave us, right? But they don't really want them to leave because they want it, right? They want it all for themselves. They just don't want Yaakov there. 
Then Yahuwah, the ever-living, said to Yaakov, Return to the land of your fathers in your birth, and I will be with you. So Yaakov sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field of his sheep and said to them, I'm going to fast forward through this so we can end it. I see that the face of your father is not with me as formerly, but the Allah Hayam of my fathers is with me. Now you know that with all my strength I have served your father, but your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. Allah Hayam, however, did not allow him to do evil to me. For when he said the spotted shall be your wages, all the sheep were spotted. But if he said the streak shall be your wages, then all the sheep were streaked. So Allah Hayam took away the flocks of your father and gave them to me. So you see that? So it's like uh, no matter what uh, Laban is saying here, like he's like, all right, this year it's going to be all streaked. You can have all streaked. Because last year there weren't many streaked. And then now they're all streaked. It's like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> there weren't that many spotted. So this year you can have all the spotted. And then they're all, it's like, ah, oh, okay. You know, so it's, yeah, uh, that, that's what I'm reading into this. This is where he keeps changing his wages 10 times, right? And Yahuwah is like, uh-uh-uh, like you keep changing his wages, but I'm going to make sure that what you change it to, that's going to be what he's getting uh, most of. It also happened in the season of the heat of the sheep that I raised my eyes in a dream and saw the rams leaping on the street, speckled and spotted sheep. There's a lot of uh, reproduction in this uh, <laughs> this uh, Torah portion, let me tell you. And... Uh, Malak, or the messenger, uh, the Allah Hayam, said to me in a dream, Yaakov, and I replied, behold me. Then he said, lift up your eyes and see all the rams leaping on the street, speckled and spotted sheep, for I have seen all that Laban has done to you. I, the Al, or Al, of the house of Al, Bethel, which you consecrated there in the pillar which you did it, dedicated to me, where you vowed a gift. Go from this country and return to the country of your birth. Then Rachel and uh, Leah answered and said to him, what portion or inheritance is there to us in the house of our father? Are we not like strangers and outcasts to him? For he sold us and has eaten up our money. That, ouch. So it sounds like, yeah. So Laban is now kind of like um, kind of like Esau, right? Ate up all his money. For all the wealth which Allah Hayam has stripped from our father that is ours and our children's, so do all that Allah Hayam has said to you. Therefore, Yaakov arose and mounted his children and wives on camels and collected the whole of his herds and the whole of the property which he had acquired by trading. Property he had acquired in Padanuha Aram or Padam Aram to go to his father Yitchak in the land of Canaan. Laban, however, had gone to shear his sheep. Then Rachel took away secretly the teraphim, all right, which were his father's. I think the I think teraphims uh, arrive. 15 times in canon, I think. Uh, I don't know if that number is important. But uh, a teraphim is like, a, well, what you, it'll be described when I go over the Jasher portion. I should get that tonight. Thus, Yaakov stole, stole away secretly from Luban the uh, Aramea without informing him, for he fled from him. So he fled, he and all his possessed, and they went up and crossed over the river, and he set his face to Mount Gilead. Now, so he he didn't take anything of his father's, but except Rachel secretly stole these idols, all right? And this is going to get her in trouble. But on the third day, it was reported to Laban that Yaakov had fled. Then he took his relatives with him and pursued after him a seven days journey and came up with him at Mount Gilead. But Allah Hayam appeared to Laban in a dream by night, and said to him, guard yourself in what you do to Yaakov for either good or ill. 
Laban, however, overtook Yaakov, and Yaakov had pitched a tent on a hill, but Laban with his relatives on Mount Gilead. Laban then said to Yaakov, what have you done? You have carried away my daughters like captives, desolates. Why did you steal away secretly, flying away and to deceive me and not inform me when I would have sent you away with pleasure? No human life. And with the sound of drums and harps. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. With the, uh, with the, with the, with the halia, halia. You have not even let me kiss my children and your children. You have acted like a fool. Truly, there is an Alahayam who guides me from evil and acting with you. For the Alahayam of your father last night said to me, guard yourself in dealing with Yaakov for good or ill. So go on your journey, for you desire the house of your father. But why have you stolen my Allah? Then Yaakov replied, because I was afraid, for I said he will certainly steal his daughters from me. If, however, you find your Allah, it is not known to me. Go round what is with me and take your own. So he's saying, look, He's saying, I don't know about what you're talking about, these uh, these idols. I, I didn't take any of that. Go around. If you find them, take them. For Yaakov did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Laban, however, went around the tent of Yaakov and the tent of Leah and to the tents of the two mothers and did not find them. Consequently, he left the tent of Leah and went to the tent of Rachel. But Rachel had taken the teraphim and placed them under the camel saddle and sat upon them so laban searched all the tent and could not find and she said to her father let it not grieve your eyes adonai that i am not able to rise before you for the what for the way of women is on me she's saying but i'm on my period and if i stand up you know it's not gonna be pleasant so i'm just gonna sit here you know don't mind me so he searched and did not find the teraphim kind of interesting that you know she did deceive her father and um yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe she never forgot what happened the first time, right? That you know she was supposed to be with Yaakov, and her father deceived. What was what would it have been like on Rachel's wedding night? I mean, did they like tie her up? I mean, at what point did they say, "Sorry, you're not getting married"? What they did she get dressed up and then they locked her in a room? I mean, you figure she was probably crying all night, right? That had to be a horrible night for her. Then Yaakov was furious and, and abused Laban. And Yaakov was savage and said to Laban, what is my fault and what is my sin that you have come after me? Now you have searched all my goods. What have you found of all the goods of your house? Put it before my people and your people, and they shall decide between us. During the 20 years I have been with, I have not lost a sheep of goats or goats of yours, and I have never eaten a ram of your flock. Take a note of that. That's really interesting. He's never eaten a ram of your flock. This is just parallel uh uh, Cain and Abel. I have never brought you the, the main. I have borne the loss from my own hand. I have restored to you the stolen by day and the stolen by night. I have borne the heat by day and the cold by night, and my eyes have never rested. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your sheep, and you have cheated me over my wages 10 times. If the Allah Hayam of my father Abraham and the fear of Yitchak had not been with me, then you would have been sent away empty. But Allah Hayam saw my weary feet and defended me last night. I assume that uh, I assume that when he says you would have sent me away empty, that like that he's saying like I, if it wasn't for my fear of Allah Hayam, I would have taken 
just I would have walked off with with my strength. I would have taken all your stuff. But Laban answered and said to Yaakov, "The girls are my girls, and the children are my children." That's like his heart speaking right there. Like he he gave his daughters off. Those aren't his children. Those aren't his daughters anymore. They belong to Yaakov. He worked for them, but like he he really did see them as slaves. I mean, he they were in slavery that whole time. And the sheep, my sheep, and all that you see is mine. And for the girls, what shall I do for them or the children which they have born? However, now come on, come one, and let you and me make a settlement, and let it be a witness between myself and you. All right, so uh, I'll read this real quick. Actually, no, I'll skip this. But th this, um, okay, let's read verse 19 right here. This is Cain and Abel arguing. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, and Abel answered his brother Cain and said unto him, what is there between me and thee that thou shalt eat the flesh of my flock and clothe thyself with their wool? So uh, Cain is complaining that the sheep are going onto his land. And he's like, well, you're when they go onto your land, you're eating them and you're taking their wool, right? Those are my sheep. So uh, kind of interesting little uh, conflict there about how Cain also had this desire, like all the things that are yours are really mine. And Yaakov is saying, look, I didn't eat any of your sheep, right? He's like he's like the, the, the Abel in the story. Then Yaakov took a stone and set it up with both his hands. And Yaakov said to his father-in-law, let them collect stones. So they collected stones and made a heap. Then they feasted on the heap. And they even called it for himself the heap of the witness. But Yaakov called it for himself the heap of evidence. Kind of a little interesting there. It's almost like Laban's like the witness against you. And Yaakov's like, no, this is like, you know the evidence for me right um, and I, I almost wonder if there was a like a salt covenant going on here right because you're eating together on this uh on this uh this this stone or these heap of stones uh laban also said this heap is witness between me and you today for he said let yahuwah the ever living watch between me and between you to keep each from evil if you grieve my daughters and if you take wives besides my daughters when we are not together, let Allah Hayam see the witness between me and you. Then Laban added to Yaakov, see this heap and see the pillar which I have raised between me and between you. Witness this heap and witness the pillar. If I should pass over to you beyond the, the, his, this heap, or if you should pass over to me beyond this heap and this pillar for evil, the, uh, the Al Hayam of Abraham, the Al Hayam of uh, uh, Nekawar, judge between us, the Al Hayam of our fathers. Yaakov, so it's basically saying like, like, you know, you stay on your side and you stay on your side, right? Uh, it's almost like if you come on my side, um, the way I'm reading this is that like, if you come on my side, this is, of course, Laban speaking. If you come on my side, you know, and I accuse you of doing evil, it, it's, it, because he's like, like, look, you stole from me. All this that you have, this is all mine. So I guess in my grace, I'm letting you go over here, but don't come over here again. Don't come on this side again after what you did to me. Uh, the Alahayam of our fathers, Yaakov then swore by the worship, the worship of his father, Yitzhak. And Yaakov sacrificed a sacrifice on the heap and invited his relatives to eat bread. So they ate bread. So I'm thinking this is like a salt covenant here. And they rested on the heap. 
Laban then rose up in the morning and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them and went and returned to his own place. But Yaakov continued his journey. And a messenger, a Melak, uh, Allah Hayam, met him. So Yaakov said, what a glorious encampment of Allah Hayam this place is. Therefore, he called the name of the place, the encampment. We're going to end there tonight. Um, we got a few more minutes. So I'll, I will talk about these uh, these idols real quick. Uh, these They're also called images. And so I'm reading from uh, Jasher right here. So if you've never heard this before, Jasher, it's pretty fascinating. And this is the manner of the images. And keep in mind, this is what Rachel stole from her father. In taking a man who was the firstborn and slaying him and taking the hair off his head and taking salt and salting the head and anointing it in oil, then taking a small tablet of copper or a tablet of gold and writing the name upon it and placing the tablet under his tongue. So he's decapitated head, taking this tablet of gold, putting it under the tongue and taking the head with the tablet under the tongue and putting it in the house and lighting up lights before it and bowing down to it. So they would put candles all around it. You know, it's an idol. They're bowing down to it. It's in the house. Um, and at the time when they bowed down to it, it speaketh to them in all manners that they ask of it through the power of the name which what which is written in it. All right. So I don't know if this is the name of specific spirits, specific gods, whatever, but apparently the spirits would come and speak through this idol. And some make them in the figures of men of gold and silver and go to them in times known to them. And the figures receive the influence of the stars and tell them future things. And in this manner were the images which Rachel stole from her father. Now, why are they receiving the influence of the stars? All right. So uh, in interestingly enough, in the Testament of Solomon, one of the, the unclean Ruachoth go before Solomon. He has this ring that uh, is able to you know, kind of manifest spirits from the, the hidden world, the spiritual world, and they come before him. And one of them says that the reason why we can predict the future and we can know things is because we go up to the firmament where the stars are. We go up to the, you know, this is where the prince of the power of the air is, right? The ether. And they go up there and they can hear what the, the, the stars or what the, the spirits up there are saying about what is to befall mankind you know specific like orders that are about to come and stuff and they, they talk about how the falling stars are actually when they lose strength and they come back down to the earth and they're able to uh you know kind of have an inside scoop on some things and so they can come and they can they can foresee the future of course you figure that if you're in the spiritual realm and you know you're somewhat knowledgeable eventually it kind of just you know you kind of kind of wing it right you can just kind of say stuff and it sounds good anyways and rachel stole these images which were her father's in order that laban might not know through them where yaakov had gone so it's interesting that rachel was still like you know you get this sense that like they they when it comes to yahuwah they're like yeah we'll serve your elohim we'll go with you but he was still kind of foreign to them. They, they hadn't really warmed up to him, it seems like, yet. I mean, they they were because this is their husband's Allah Hayam, but she's still concerned about these images, you know, and it, unfortunately it caught up with her later. She died young. Now, we'll get to that in future readings. 
I did want to comment on this here on the teraphim. We see it a couple times in, I said it happens 15 times in canon. We see it in 1 Samuel 15, 23, when Samuel comes up to Saul and he says, uh, he says to Saul, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as in iniquity and and uh, teraphim. So he he actually calls him, uh, he, he says he's like a teraphim, right? Well, it's kind of interesting because just a few verse, a few chapters later, we have that scene where David goes in to, um, it's like Michal, that's uh, his wife, his first, uh, his wife and her Saul. He goes into her house and Saul's trying to kill him. He knows that he's going to, it's almost like a Samson story, right? Where the Philistines are waiting outside with Delilah and they know that they can kill him at her house if he's bidding with her. So she lets him out on a, on a rope down the back window. But this is kind of interesting. And this has been largely discussed. How is it that she has a teraphim in her house? How is David okay with it? Did he know about it? All right. And what's really going on here? But this is what it says. Saul also sent messengers into David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michal, uh, am I pronouncing or almost like, yeah, Michal, David's wife told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So she let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Well, she took an image and laid it in the bed. So an image, the, this is the same thing, the idol, the teraphim, right? The same one we read from Jasher, a head with, you know, a tongue and cut off, nasty stuff, right? Salted, olive oil, oiled up, everything. And uh, she took it and laid it in bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to David, he, she said, he is sick. Anyways, long story short, it's like Ferris Bueller's day off. The, the guards are actually tricked. They looked and they go, oh, okay, David's still in bed. All right, we won't kill him, I guess, or whatever. And and they they, they went back. And, uh, and, and Saul's like, what? You didn't bring him to me? Bring him back to me so I can kill him. What are you guys doing, right? And they went back and they discovered it was an idol that they've been had. So um, I'm going to end it there tonight. That that really um, was like, well, we got through that. It's uh, been two hours and uh, I'm going to take a few minutes break because we got the late show starting. I'm going to be going over the book of creation next. I recommend that everyone give it a shot. Try to listen to the book of creation. Um, and uh, of course, I'll give an introduction on it um, when we get into it. So uh, if this is uh, where you're getting off on the 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 train station if this is your stop shabbat shalom everyone one last time i uh, hope to see you guys next week and um rest of you i'll see you guys in a few minutes or whenever you choose to watch the video